Welcome everyone, feel free to stand and greet each other with the peace of Christ. John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life.
shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you lord and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry So 
Now our kiddos are going to bless us with the ministry of music.
That was amazing. We should all be so uninhibited. Right? Amen? So what did you guys say? Hey, 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 can you do that one more time? Awesome, awesome. Jesus came down. You guys were fabulous. Let's give them one more round of applause. They do make a joyful noise. Let's uh, dismiss them now. Let's hear the greeting that we do each Sunday. Uh, the adults will begin with the Lord be with you. And you guys got it in you to say the greeting back, or are you tired now? Can you do it? All right, adults. The Lord be with you. Well, that answered my question. You have a wonderful morning hearing about why Jesus came down. Ah, amazing. So good morning. I am Pastor Mary DeWitt, if you do not know me. And um, I am, again, honored to share the prayer with us as we continue our time of worship here today. So will you bow your heads and pray with me, please? I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening and morning and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Thank you from the, for these words from Psalm 55. This morning, we embrace this psalm of confidence, knowing that you, do, that you, God, do promise to save us, that you, God, do listen to each one of our voices uniquely. We can be sure that you both hear and act to bring salvation for us. David knew this, and we know this, because of what Jesus did on the cross. You welcome each one of us here with open arms. No matter what pain, hurts, guilt, or fear may have followed us in here today. You are a God who is so rich in grace and full of mercy. And our response is to come together today to praise you, our God of angel armies, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to glorify your name as we just sung that most beautiful, wonderful, and powerful name of Jesus. Today we ask for the faith that will open our eyes to see you, Jesus, for who you truly are, our Savior and our King. And in doing so, we first confess to you and to one another that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not shown kindness to those whom you have put in our path this past week. We have held back on sharing forgiveness and understanding. We have chosen to rely on our own strengths because, you know, we can do it all not prayerfully seeking your wisdom and guidance. Forgive us as we have chosen to crave worldly goods and comforts rather than the true contentment that comes through your promise to provide our daily bread. Accept our repentance, O oh God. And we accept this blessed assurance that through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, our sins have been washed away. We praise you, almighty God, for raising Jesus from the dead and for the promise that we have that one day we will be with you and with all those who love you. What a reunion. 
And as we accept this pardon, we know that we have been restored as children of the one true king. Thank you for doing what seems impossible and for giving us the faith that moves mountains. And as we forget not all your benefits, help us to live a life that is filled with love and compassion and joy and patience and service in a way that is so amazingly attractive to our friends, our family, and our coworkers that they too may want to seek to have a life-changing relationship with you. Abba Father, each here has burdens on their heart about things in their own life that need your grace and your power. Many find themselves in the season of ongoing grief. Others struggle with sickness, and the other, others grapple through fragile relationships. In addition to the longing of our own hearts, dear Father, please place the touch of the Master's hand on those within our worshiping community and our surrounding neighborhood. We give you thanks for the ministries of this church and Neighbors Plus, which purposely strive to be a beacon in this hurting world. We pray and we give thanks for Pastor Bill and the Celebration Community and for Pastor Aaron as he leads Watershed and for Pastor Florencio, who shepherds Mission. And today we pray for Pastor JB as he embraces this fusion community. We give you thanks for the way that he shares his life and his love with each of us through his compassionate heart and for the way that he reveals your word in ways that we maybe never thought of, refreshing and sharp and active. We ask, too, that each person here will intentionally set aside all that distracts, and there's many things, so that we can open our hearts to relate to our place in the message here today. And we ask all these things, these things in the name of Jesus, knowing that you understand our fears and you carry our burdens and you dispense hope. Receive in your loving embrace all who come home to you this day as together we continue our journey to the cross, saying the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, Mary. And uh, good morning, Fusion. I am uh, Pastor JB, and uh, if you're a guest, and I know we have some guests, some proud grandparents um, here, just want to introduce myself and uh, hope you, did you enjoy that? Amen. Yeah, those kids, boy, they have some energy. They bring it. They bring it. And uh, how are we going to keep up with that? Um, let's uh, pause and say a prayer for our Sunday school teachers as well as uh, they get to try to wrangle that energy. Um, as, a, as a way of just welcoming our guests, we uh, have a special treat. Um, we try to do some potlucks um, throughout the year. Instead of a potluck today, uh, we, are, we have a, 
And now, like, in retrospect, anyway, we have a, a candy buffet. There you go. In retrospect, like, was that a good idea? But anyway, no, it's wonderful. So we got some treats for the kids, um, but then also for grandparents and adults who don't want that much sweets, we also have a yogurt parfait that's going to be back there. We have, you know, when we have donuts from Bowerman's every Sunday, like, how do you take that a step beyond? I don't know if we did, but a little treat and an encouragement to just stick around and, and commune, or, yeah, commune and fellowship with one another. Uh, this morning. A couple announcements quick before we jump into God's word. Uh, This Wednesday is our last community night. Um, Spring break is is fast approaching and we have community night um, this Wednesday and with that is uh, Derby night. And so if you've never checked out Wednesday night community night, we have dinner here at 515. Um, We're going to have a derby. It's a great one to just kind of dip your toes in and see the excitement as our gems and our cadets, some of our children's ministries, they have put together Pinewood Derby cars. And, uh, and so we're going to cheer them all on and, and make sure all those kids feel uh, valued and encouraged uh, on that Derby night. Uh, and then, of course, it's spring break week coming up and Holy Week. And so uh, keep your eye on the calendar as next week's already Palm Sunday. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. Also, this morning, uh, I have the privilege of, of welcoming uh, new covenant partners. Uh, so we've changed some language from membership to covenant partnership to kind of signal that, that this, is, this is not something we're just members of. This is something we partner with, covenant, like we are part of a family. And so we have uh, two new couples who are joining uh, as covenant partners, uh, Jim and Trin Brondike, uh, who have been part of Hardaway, but now they, they, they left for a season, but now they're back. And so we're excited about that, uh, and then Steve and Karen Statzer. So uh, we, we welcome them and look forward to how God is going to use uh, these as they give and, and partner with the ministry, and we look forward to how God is going to bless them as they become part of this church family. So if you have opportunity uh, to say hi to Steve, Karen, um, Jim, Jim has a hard time getting here, but Trin's been here uh, regularly. Uh, take those opportunities. And that's also a reminder, if you've been visiting with us for a while and you want to learn more about what does it mean to become a covenant partner, uh, come talk to me. I'd love to have that conversation. All right. But now, are you with me? Still with me? All right. Are we, kind of, we going to live off that energy of those kids for just a little bit longer? Yeah. So hey, let's jump in. A quick review to catch us up, especially guests, if this is your first time, since September, we've been journeying through, uh, making our way through the grand narrative of Scripture, working from Genesis, and we're going to end in Revelation. And for 21 weeks, we were in the, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and just into March, just March, just three weeks ago, we stepped into the New Testament looking at the four biographies of Jesus that we refer to as the Gospels. Gospel is a Greek word that simply means good news because the news that we have to share about Jesus, his life, but more importantly, even his, his death and his resurrection is indeed good news. There's a little summary of, of, of how we've been kind of framing this. And as we entered into the Gospels, we, we decided to do something a little different with then we kind of like took a step away from the story. And for four weeks in March, we decided that we would look at each of the four Gospels one at a time each week. And so week one, and the reason we did this is because there's four Gospels and they're all sharing a, a faithful account of the one historical life of Jesus Christ. 
But we explored that there's, there's four different perspectives because these four authors, uh, you know, had a different perspective. They have a different emphasis, and they're, they're writing to different audiences. And because of that, uh, there, there, there's some uniqueness in the Gospels. Just like if we were all watching a basketball game from a different perspective or sharing that basketball game we talked about, or if we witnessed something, different witnesses have a different perspective. You with me? And the Holy Spirit preserved these four accounts as they are. Uh, to put them and include them in God's word for us. So a quick review, uh, week one we looked at Matthew's gospel and we remember that Matthew was written largely to a Jewish audience and so Matthew is filled with all of these Old Testament quotations and echoes and assumptions because he understands his audience, understands certain cultural dynamics uh, in that time and place. And the question we, we, we wrapped our minds around in Matthew was who is Jesus? And in Matthew 16, Peter answers that question, uh, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Well, the following week, we looked at the gospel of Mark. And we remember that Mark is written to a Roman audience. If you remember, Mark is, he's more direct, he's more concise. And so it's a shorter gospel. And we considered this key question, well, well, how was Jesus the Messiah? And we, and we looked at, at, at in, in Mark, that, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That, that the Messiah would come, not as a conquering king, but a suffering servant who would lay down his life. And then last week, we looked at the Gospel of Luke, and we remember that Luke was a Gentile, he was a doctor, he was also a companion of Paul during his missionary journeys. And, and so, and he not only wrote the, the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And so Luke, more than the other Gospels, has the Gentile mission in mind. And so we wrapped our minds around this question of, well, who, who was Jesus' good news for? And we remembered this, this beautiful quote by Jesus in the story of Zacchaeus, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, meaning this is good news for all people everywhere. What a beautiful, beautiful message. This week, we turn our attention to the fourth gospel. It is the gospel according to John. Now, if you've ever just read through the New Testament, you read uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you get to John, you're gonna notice that this one's different. Like, it just reads different. Uh, there's some unique stories in John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels in, in, in the way that they share a lot of the same content. John is written later, uh, John, the disciple of Jesus, lived longer than any of the other disciples, and so he's writing from a later perspective, and, and, and so much of it is a little unique. It's kind of written as a memoir, and so when you're writing it, even stylistically, what you're going to notice is that John provides longer episodes and discourses, while Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, include kind of these short, um, shorter episodes called pericopes. So John, like, expands on things, Okay. And it's split up into two movements. Anyway, we're going to talk a little more about some of the reasons behind that. But I think our text actually sheds some helpful light on how John is arranged. Because toward the end of John's gospel, in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, which is our text this morning, he actually shares with us the reason why he wrote this account of Jesus' life. And we're going to read that this morning. As, uh, and as we do, we stand is our tradition if you're willing and able to honor God as God speaks to us through his word because what God has to say through his word we hold in higher regard than than what I'm going to say and so let's listen to the word of the Lord John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 this is after the resurrection immediately after this encounter with Jesus and Thomas if you remember that story we read this starting with verse 30 
Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you once again for your word. As we've been studying this, the whole scope of the story, your story, of your people, our story, Lord, we thank you that the Spirit has been at work to bring these words, to bring your word together as Scripture. And Lord, we thank you that your Spirit continues to work in our hearts as we read your Scripture. And we pray now, Lord, that your Spirit would be at work as we learn, as we dig in, as we consider what you might be speaking in our lives. Lord, may you speak and may you transform, may you comfort, may you challenge, so that, Lord, we would more and more walk in step with your son, Jesus Christ, the living word, and it's in his name that we pray. God's people say, amen. John writes, but these are written that you may believe. We hear that word believe or, or belief, and I don't know about you, maybe it's just my station in life being uh, the father of a couple young kids, but when I hear belief, my mind immediately goes to children who have an uncanny ability to believe, amen? As we think about our kids' beliefs, uh, more broadly speaking, sometimes our kids' beliefs are, are maybe a little naive, maybe just covered with innocence, you know, like belief in the tooth fairy or, or different things. Sometimes our, our, our children's beliefs are, can be, if we're honest, a real moment, a little annoying. No, no one else, okay, or, or a little silly. Um, like the belief, our young ki kids, when they believe in monsters under their bed, or maybe they believe that there are, there's someone walking up the stairs and they're terrified at night and then they can't go to sleep, and then they want their dad to come lay on the floor next to them, and then their dad wakes up with a sore back, and I don't know, just like totally hypothetical situation, yeah, okay. And then there's sometimes where, where our kids' belief and their innocence creates this sense of wonder and joy, and you almost want to like bottle it up and cherish it as, as parents, amen? And, and I think it's that kind of belief that uh, that Disney World kind of has a monopoly on, or Disneyland. Um, five years ago, uh, we saved up our whole life savings. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it's really expensive. It's really pricing people out. But anyway, we, we took Emmeline to Disneyland. Uh, Yvonne's family's in Southern California, and so we took her for a day to Disneyland. She's four years old, and I just want to show you just a 10-second clip that I think captures the wonder and belief of a four-year-old at Disneyland. Oh, I could watch that video over and over every day. And uh, my guess is that, that you have maybe similar videos or memories of kids or grandkids experiencing the beauty and the wonder and the awe 
of this kind of innocent belief in something otherworldly, right? Here's the thing. What we expect our children, as, as precious as that is, is what we expect is that someday our kids are, are going to grow up. And, and the anticipation is, well, someday they're going to grow out of that. Because that's just make-believe and fantasy. As we step back, increasingly, I, I think this is how many in our increasingly secular world frame any kind of Christian belief. That, that, that believing in Jesus is kind of like believing in, in fairy tales. Increasingly, there's an opinion that to believe in Jesus is, is naive, maybe silly at best, but at its worst, it can be annoying, illogical, and, and even dangerous. A perspective on belief. And yet we go back to the Gospel of John, and it appears pretty clearly that John has a different perspective on belief, not just for children, but for adults alike. What I want to do is, is explore John's gospel and these themes that we see as he states his own purpose. Let me read it again. John states in chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What John is saying here is that there is so many other stories, encounters, and signs of Jesus that John could have included in his gospel, but he chose, he picked by the Spirit's guiding and orchestration, he, these stories were included with a very specific purpose in mind so that people would come to, to have belief in Jesus that brings life. Belief in Jesus that brings life. This morning what I want to do is just touch on those three things uh, through John's perspective to look at the rest of John's gospel. Jesus, belief, and life. Let's begin by looking at Jesus. John states here that he wants his readers to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, if you were here for our Matthew study just a few weeks ago, what you'll, what you'll recognize is this language is incredibly familiar. Uh, in our Matthew study, uh, these are almost verbatim the words that the Apostle Peter states when Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? Uh, Peter will say in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ or Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. But as you read John's gospel, what you see is that, that John has a more developed theology around Jesus' identity, specifically around Jesus' divinity and his humanity, but especially his divinity. Again, I mentioned earlier that John uh, lived longer than any of the other apostles. If you remember, he, he ended up getting uh, cast off to a prison island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. So he lived much longer than the other gospel writers. And, the, and, and so he wrote his gospel much later, not much later, but later than the other gospels. And he was writing in a time when there were a lot of different questions being asked about who Jesus is where the, the synoptics are writing and they're trying to explain because the question was, was Jesus the Messiah that the Old Testament prophets prophesied about? A few years later, now it's like, well, who is this Jesus? And, and they're developing this theology around Jesus' divinity. And John says more explicitly what the other gospels say more implicitly, right? Now, uh, there's, there's, an, there's graduate level courses on this topic. 
Now, let me sound real smart for a moment. We call it Christology, okay? So you can take Christology classes at seminary or, or postgraduate work or graduate studies. Uh, but to keep it simple this morning, John really clearly addresses uh, Jesus' humanity and divinity right in his introduction. He introduces his gospel differently than the other gospels by, by clearly stating in so many words that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. He holds both of these realities before the reader right in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, when he talks about Jesus as the Word. Uh, let me read that to you. In the beginning, this is John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so John is, is drawing language from the book of Genesis. So at the very beginning, at the creation of the world, there was Jesus meaning Jesus was co-eternal. Jesus was God, really clearly stating that Jesus is divine. You jump down to verse 14 and we read, the word, referring to Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Here, John is very clearly stating that Jesus took on human, Jesus is fully human. He took on human flesh. And again, some of the teaching around that time is the Gnostics who said that Jesus is all spirit and it's not flesh, but, but John is like, no, 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 that's not true. Where he, that's why he includes details post-resurrection of, of Jesus eating a meal with his resurrected body, includes Thomas touching his physical body before he would believe, right? John is writing in a context to state clearly that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. Some other examples where John is, is stating Jesus' divinity, there's seven I am statements. That's, that's a graphic from Bible Project, of course. That's the graphic I'm going to include. But there's seven I am statements where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, the good shepherd, the vine. There's seven other times where Jesus says this same statement, I am. In the Greek, it's ego a me. Now, that's redundant. That's like saying, me, I am. It's redundant, but he's trying to make a point because there's a connection. If you remember many, many weeks ago when we studied Exodus, when, when Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And, G and not Jesus, but God, Yahweh, gives Moses his divine name. I am who I am. And so when Jesus says, I am, multiple times, culminating in John 8 when he says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying, I am the I am, right? This is a statement that Jesus is making about his own divinity. Also, Jesus, this term, son of God, takes on new meaning. Jesus, throughout John's gospel, says, I and the Father are one. And so, again, that's kind of an echo to the Shema, um, where the Lord, is, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, or the Lord is one. All these echoes where John is clearly stating that Jesus is fully divine. Now, it's important to mention that in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Jesus also makes similar claims, but they're more implicit. And you need, to understand, you need to know some things. John is making very explicit what Jesus is saying by his own explanations in chapter 1. Are you with me? So Jesus, John is helping us understand a little more clearly what Jesus says and does in his life. And John has selected these accounts and offered these summaries in his gospel account because he wants the readers to understand who Jesus was, who he is, and why? So that they will believe. Let's talk about belief. Let's jump there. John emphasizes, it's important to ref mention that John will emphasize belief more than any of the other gospel accounts. Again, John 20, 31. But these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
a quick word study that I discovered this week, never really noticed this before, but it's very intriguing and I think really helpful. A word study, this Greek word is to believe is pistuo. You want to participate? Say that with me, pistuo. Pistuo, that's right. Pistua is a, is, a, is a verb coming from the noun pistis, which means faith. It means to believe, to have faith in, to trust. Here's what I found interesting. There's a chart from Bible Web app uh, showing how many times this word occurs in the New Testament. So each of those graphs, that, that real tall one is the book of John. So John uses the word pistuo, this verb to believe, 85 times compared to 32 times in the other three Gospels. So John has a much higher emphasis on belief than the synoptics, almost a three-to-one ratio. Isn't that fascinating? I, I find this, so we're just nerding out a little bit. I find this really fascinating. But there's something else that I think is really fascinating, a detail, and it's the challenge in translating uh, verse 31. This is one of the first things I learned in Greek class, and it made me want to learn Greek. I just really made that, the expectation really high there, okay. But anyway, it's really fascinating. So here's the, the challenge with translating this word, but these are written that you may believe, is there's different verb tenses, past tense, present tense, there's other tenses, errorist tense. I didn't know grammar until I took Greek class. But anyway, the errorist te te tense and the present active tense in the Greek are spelled the exact same. So what we have is, right, that solo word, pist that, that is what it's in the Greek text, but it could either be translated one of two ways. It could either be translated for the aorist, but these are written that you may, like, come to believe, like believe for the first time, right? Or in the present tense, it could also be translated, but these are written that you may continue believing. Are you with me? So, so the translation question comes down to this. What does John mean when he writes this sentence? Is John writing that these words are written to bring people to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, to believe for the first time? Or is John writing these words so that people who already believe would have their faith strengthened? Because the, the word is spelled the same way. And I think the beautiful thing is the answer is yes. Or both. And when I heard that, I'm like, whoa, I got to learn Greek because this stuff's fascinating. Do you understand my excitement now? Just humor me. Amen? Okay. You humor me. Okay. I just found that so fascinating. These words are written so that people would come to believe in Jesus and these words are written so that people who already believe would be strengthened in their faith. Now, 85 times this word pistuo is used in the Gospel of John, and a quick survey of those 85 times, what you have is multiple stories and examples of people who are on the spectrum or trajectory of belief. You have people who are just learning about Jesus and believing for the first time. You have others, disciples who've been walking with Jesus, who start to question their belief or start to doubt or deny Jesus, and, and, and they're referenced as well. And what I find so encouraging and what I love about John's gospel is that each time, no matter where that person is on their journey of faith, Jesus meets them exactly where they're at. Some examples just to explore. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, who's got the intellect and he's got this curiosity about this Jesus and Jesus meets him there. It's where we, we have the most well-known passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus meets Nicodemus' Pharisee. John 4 and 8, 
women who, who have been rejected by their communities. What is, Jesus goes to the well and meets a Samaritan woman. Jesus goes, meets a woman who's been caught in adultery, meets them in sin and failure. John 11, you have Mary and Martha, their, their, their brother Lazarus has just died. They're stricken with grief and they're trying to grapple with what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the resurrection and the life and they can't fully wrap their minds, their limited faith and understanding. Jesus meets Martha there. Mary, she's overcome with grief. Jesus, even though he knows that in just a few moments he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, what does he do? The shortest verse in the Bible, you memorized it as a kid maybe. Jesus wept. He weeps with Mary. Got Thomas, who in chapter 11 is ready to go to Jerusalem and die with Jesus. By chapter 20, he's like, if I don't put my hands in those wounds, I am not gonna believe. Jesus meets him there and says, come and see. And even Peter, who's, you know, Peter is, is wonderful, and yet he denies Jesus three times. And the book of John ends with Jesus restoring Peter and saying, do you love me? And feed my sheep. And I don't know about you, but, but I, these, this kind of survey of John's gospel for me is, is so encouraging because what it tells us is that no matter where we are on this journey of faith, and it's not like this straight line ascent. No, the journey of faith, you've been there. It's up and down. It's a roller coaster. But no matter where we are, the gospel of John reminds me by the, that Jesus will meet us wherever we are on the journey. And so if you're just like encouraged and you see these kids, you're like, yeah, God is awesome. Jesus is gonna meet you there. But maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I don't know what I believe. Like there's things that I cherish and yet there's so much brokenness and Jesus will meet you there as well. He'll meet you in, in your encouragement and your joys, but he'll also meet you in your wrestling, in your doubt. And when the whole thing seems to be falling apart, Jesus will meet you there. And friends, if, if you're at that point, I just want to stop and say, you don't have to journey that alone. Shoot me an email or give me a call. I'd love to just listen to your story. And I'm sure there's many others who you know and maybe trust who would love to meet you and be the hands and feet of Jesus. You see, faith, no matter how small, opens us up to receive this gift of God's grace, God's movement toward us. And what I love about John here is, did you notice that belief is not the end goal? That's not the final word. Ultimately, the hope that John explains is not that we would simply believe, but that we would believe and have life in Jesus' name. Life in Jesus. These words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Again, a little word study. You, with? you ready for another one? Greek word for life is zoe. Say that with me. Zoe or zoe. It's a, it's a name, right? I told, uh, Zoe's here. But anyway, uh, life. And zoe means something about physical uh, life, but also in a spiritual sense. Again, the frequency in the Gospels is, again, fascinating. 32 times in John, 16 times in the other synoptics. In fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke uh, use a word salvation, where John prefers to use a word that kind of captures a similar idea, eternal life, where eternal half the times is paired with life. It's important to recognize that both salvation and eternal life refer not, do not refer exclusively to what happens to people after they die, a future life, it does, 
but it's not exclusively referring to that. When John speaks of life or even eternal life, he refers not only to a future reality that we'll experience one day when Christ comes again, but he also is referring to something that invades our present, okay? The Greek word for eternal simply refers to an age that is to come, but it also breaks into the present through Jesus Christ, who himself says, I am the life. Two different times Jesus says, I am the life. Secondly, the verb uh, eternal life is, is used multiple occasions to, in the present tense. An example, John 3.36 uh, says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. How do you have something that's a future reality? It's something in the present moment, right? We can possess this life today. And maybe the most significant are the many signs that Jesus will perform in the Gospels. There's seven signs that Jesus performs or does in the Gospel of John. And those signs are, is what happens when life breaks in, when heaven breaks into the re- current reality that all point to the resurrection of Jesus. The signs are signs of abundance, signs of healing, signs of raising people from the dead, culminating with Lazarus, which points to Jesus' own resurrection. And all of these signs are God's life, God's glory, God's power breaking into the present. It is a, it is a, it is a life has a present uh, consequence, right? So when we read verses like John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Yes, absolutely, that's referring to life in Christ that will never end. But it's also important to recognize that eternity has no beginning, right? And so it's something that we can experience today in this moment. And John testifies of Christ's impact in the present. When the eternal word, God's glory, dwells or tabernacles among God's people, things change for the better. And now there's times when that is evident and undeniable, these miraculous signs. Like if we were to witness Jesus' healings and Jesus' miraculous feeding of 5,000 people, this abundance, we would be like, there's no denying that, that something is happening, that heaven is breaking in. But it begs the question, what about those other times? which maybe describe the vast majority of our experience here on earth when, when the miracle that we're praying for doesn't come? What about the experience when, when, when heaven doesn't break into our present reality in a miraculous, earth-shattering way? What does it mean in those circumstances when we, like, like Mary, are overcome with grief? What does it mean to possess life today when our experience says something different? Or to put another way, how does belief in Jesus that John is praying for, his purpose, bring life in Jesus even today? That's a huge question. And I think for the remaining time we have today, I think it's helpful to once again look to our children. Yes, our our children, our kids can experience belief that at times, looking at it from an adult's perspective can seem naive or silly. In our weaker moments, it can be a little annoying, like believing in the tooth fairy or monsters under your bed. But then there's also these other moments when we witness belief in our kids that's precious and it's it's innocent, like, like when a four-year-old walks the streets of Disneyland meeting these characters for the first time. And the difference between reality and fantasy is a little blurred for them, and they're just filled with this awe and wonder and joy. Here's the thing, like, 
my kids will grow out of this phase. And I, I pray they do, you know. If it was a video of me saying that, Snow White, ah, you know, you'd be like, something's wrong, right? <laughs> Though the Disney does have an allure for adults as well. Eventually my kids will grow out. They're not, they're grow out of it. They're not gonna experience the word with such a sense of wonder and joy shielded by this, 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 this level of naivete and innocence. And yet, there's another layer to our kids' belief, our kids' faith, if you will, that I wish I could recapture personally. Because when our kids attach that belief and that faith to things that aren't made up or make-believe, but things that are real and constants in their lives, for example, a loving parent or a loving grandparent, it's a powerful thing that brings comfort and peace, life. When my kids are scared at night, you know what calms them down? It's when mom or dad comes and gives them those cuddles, right? And suddenly, the worries of the world melt away, and they're okay, because they're in the loving arms of mom or dad. You know, when Bryson is scared and, and t- afraid to go to bed, he, he'll, he'll squirm in his bed for, for hours probably. But the moment dad is sleeping with his sore back on the floor next to him, that boy will fall asleep in three minutes because there's comfort and there's security and there's confidence and there's life. And I don't know if you witnessed, we all witnessed what was going on here, but that's how our kids believe in God. That's how they believe in Jesus. I mean, did you see them singing this morning? Amen? Come on. When that same level of awe and wonder and joy is attached to something of substance, like a loving parent, or or better yet, a loving God, a loving God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to put in their language to be their, their forever friend who will always be with them, that brings gifts of life that last. And I want, I want a little more of that in my life. And here's the thing, as we kind of bring this thing to a close, it's, it's that kind of faith, did you notice it's rooted in something? In fact, it's rooted in another word that John's gospel used more than any of the other gospels combined. It's the Greek word for love, agapao, agapao, or agape, you know, that's kind of our love. That kind of trust, that kind of belief is rooted in God's incomprehensible love for those that he calls his beloved children. And and Jesus draws on this in John 15 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. He says, abide or live or remain in my love. And when you live in my love, when you live in me, you will find life life that bears fruits. In fact, John draws on the same image of of parents, loving father and children, right in his introduction, John 1, verse 12, it's on the screen, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Our identity, resting in the love of God the Father, is that we are his children. And there is life and comfort and security that comes when we believe that. 
In fact, this is how God, the, uh, John frames it in his epistle, 1 John 3, 1. I want to read these words. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I don't know about you, but when I see my kids' belief and trust and faith, and I, think of, and I look at my own heart and my own skepticism, my own doubts, my worries, I see why Jesus says, have faith like that. <laughs> and I want faith like that. I don't know if you do too, but let's pray and ask God to give us that gift. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for our children. And Lord, we are part of a, a covenant family. And so Lord, these, these children are part of this covenant family, and so they are our children in the best sense of that word. We thank you, Lord, that, that they are loved, not just by parents and family who've come, but, but Lord, by this, this church community. And Lord, most importantly, we thank you for your love. Lord, your love that's poured out for them, but Lord, poured out for each of us. Lord, you love us more than, than we could even put into words. Lord, you loved us so much that you sent your son to enter into this world. And Jesus Christ, you willingly laid down your own life so that we might call ourselves children of God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you would work in our lives, that you would meet us where we are on this journey of faith. Whether we are on the mountaintop right now or, Lord, we are in the deepest and darkest of valleys, Lord Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, we pray that you would meet us in this time of need. Help us experience your love. Help us experience your, your knowledge and understanding of our lives and our circumstances. And may you bring us closer to you. And we thank you, Lord, that you've put us in this community so that we don't have to do this journey alone. We pray all this in the powerful, wonderful, loving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And God's people say, amen. We invite you guys to stand with us.
could rescue me from my failing Who else would offer his only son Who else invites me to call him father Welcome. Enjoy uh, some candy, some yogurt parfaits. Uh, parents, apologize in advance for all the sugar your kids will consume this, uh, this morning. But uh, we love our kids, amen. And there's something we can learn from our kids, amen. Uh, let me just once again say these words. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes, not perish, but find life, both now and forevermore. May we cherish those simple words that many of us learned as children, as real truths for us into adulthood. Amen. And as you go from here, receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now. And forevermore, God's people say together, amen. Let's enjoy. Some t-